0: Good morning and welcome. Am I on? I guess I am. Yep. Good morning and welcome. Uh, glad each one of you are here this morning. Um, I was just talking with Brandon this morning, and he shared that uh, 105 kids are coming to our, our uh, youth program here. Many of those are from uh, unchurched families, and so that's really, really awesome. Um, this this uh, year's VBS uh, theme is Waves, and, and I'm dressed for the part, so... This is, my, this is my summer outfit here. So this morning we're reading from Luke 11. Uh, let's see here. Verse 14 is where I'll start. It would help I- now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of the people, let's see, some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Oh, it went away. There we are. Sorry. Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, Guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Open God's Word, it uh, never ceases to amaze me how, especially the gospel writers, assemble scripture. And as we open up Luke chapter 11, we finish the Lord's Prayer, instructing the disciples on how to pray. And then he's like, oh, and now he's casting out demons. And, and when you think about it, now Jesus was, and you fill in the blank. When you have an opportunity to tell, your kids or your family or friends about Jesus? Do you go, hey, let's talk about prayer and let's talk about Jesus casting out demons, shall we? Let's just move from prayer to demon and, and kingdom and light and darkness. But in our world, the past few years, in the past five years, the more I read scripture, the more it's black and white, the more it's evil and good, the more it is Spiritual warfare. The more it is, hey, why is this falling apart? Well, it could be a cold or it could be spiritual. Let's have an honest conversation and not over spiritualize things, but not over just look for physical answers all the time for spiritual problems. Because what happens here is the disciples are seeing power, they're seeing authority, they're seeing a unique purpose unfold that, that's similar but very different and way more powerful and purpose-filled than John the Baptist and way more authority than any other prophet or teacher has. And they, they finally figured out and they go, hey, there's something, there's something about the way Jesus prays. Teach us that. They never said, hey, Jesus, teach us how to preach. Teach us how to tell stories like you do, man. You're the best storyteller. How do you get like a 50-minute sermon into two lines? How'd you do that? They said, prayer. I need to know how to pray like that. And then right away, Luke, again, writing to Theophilus, a young believer, to him and for our benefit, he moves right from prayer into, hey, let's talk about what's really going on around us. And when we open our eyes and and we clearly see there is a dark, a demonic, there's demons running around, there's tarot card readers, there's Ouija boards being sold and, and played and drugs open doors into your brain for, for the spiritual enemy to get in, for demons and Satan to have an influence on you. The, the paranormal activity that's been popularized and, and, and delivered is just kind of fanciful entertainment. There's a real dark reality that, that especially in America, we've been able to turn a blind eye to and say, yeah, that's, that's just, don't go down that street. We're going to stay down the main road. We won't go down there. We won't, we won't think about those thoughts. But here, the Lord addresses this. And, and Luke says, hey, this is what Jesus came to do. He came to set the captives free. He came, when, when Satan's all about stealing and killing and destroying, he came to give life and give life to the full. We've all been exposed to these spiritual dark realities to to one degree or another. And and for a long time, a lot of people are like, oh, that's just, we can dismiss it. But what if Jesus doesn't want us to dismiss it? He wants us to have victory over it. And he gives us some teaching on spiritual warfare here. Jesus ends up sharing by dividing. He says, look, either you're for me or against me, either you're gathering or you're scattering. So there's no real neutral ground here. It's either you're, you're helping me work and build my kingdom and you're filled with my word, or you're, you're tearing down my kingdom and, the, and there's no hint of my word in you. So, so to outline this, this big chunk of scripture, it's really his work Part one, and then his word, part two. How do we rem- remain in Jesus, abiding in him, and doing his work? It's through his word. Verse 14 opens with Jesus casting out a demon. It's a simple but intense picture. Very few of you probably woke up this morning and were like, man, I'm really, I'm really kind of wrestling with, I hope, I hope the pastor helps me understand uh, exorcism. Like, I'm really wrestling with this exorcism. I really need some tools that's probably, I mean, even as I prepare, I'm like, man, this is a hard just, hey, we're talking about VBS and making waves, and all of a sudden, boom, we're talking about demons. And, and yet, he doesn't want us to be unaware. And, and really, at the heart of it, it's the king shows up. And there's someone in God's kingdom that's trying to distract you and say, actually, Jesus doesn't have that authority. He doesn't have that power. I do. And there's this liar within God's kingdom And Jesus shows up and he drives out a demon that caused the man's muteness and leaves him allowing the man to speak. His work, Christ's kingdom shows up. Verses 14 through 26, this should be amazing. This should bring praise. This should allow everyone to fall on their knees and proclaim that Jesus is God, his kingdom is here and we finally have peace, we have hope, the enemy's defeated, there's no more demonic activity in the kingdom, there's no more fear or anxiety of how the how the enemy, the true enemy, not just your debt or or a tough relationship, but the thing that's that's distracting you and lying to you, your flesh and and continuing to attack you, and hold you captive. He's bound now, and you have a true king who came to save you and set you free. Instead, they're like, mm, doubt it. You're probably working for Satan. It's like, what? How in the world do you go, draw that conclusion? Like, the guy couldn't talk. Now he can talk. And they're like, yeah, it's probably Satan, you know. It's probably the Lord of the Flies, Beelzebub. It's probably working for Satan. It's probably, and it's the heart. The heart is so darkened and selfish. There's three profound truths we see that are experienced here. One, demons are real. Their activity in the New Testament seems to, to really continue to be a focal point in Jesus' early ministry. And so the more you read Scripture, you see His Word reminds you and reveals to you that this physical outlook is actually affected severely and directly by spiritual things. So when you see a physical problem, our knee-jerk reaction is to just go, okay, how are we going to solve this physically? Which instead we should go, okay, what spiritually could be occurring? And let's pray against any work of Demons and Satan and the enemy. Demons sometimes afflict people. Number two, number three, Jesus rules over and casts out demons. So, first, we see demons are real. Second, demons sometimes afflict people and possess unbelievers and afflict and oppress believers. And number three, Jesus rules over them and casts them out. And there's never There's never any question. It's not like they're going nine rounds and Jesus is losing and all of a sudden, like Rocky comes out and takes out this. Always winning. Jesus is always winning and there's no shadow of a doubt that he wins. And then the crowds are left trying to figure out what to do with it. In verse 14, it says they were amazed. But there are two groups of people who respond in two very different ways. One, in verse 15, we see The first group are the slanderers. And they say, this question, again, attacking Jesus' authority because they refuse to submit. They don't want to humble themselves. And so they say this, and they slander him. He drives out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons, which is the name, the Lord of the Flies, given to Satan, of darkness, who rules over demons. They're slandering Jesus. Saying, yeah, he might have power, but it's not real. It's, it's, it's a power of darkness. It's not our God. And then two, the second group are the skeptics who test Jesus. And they say this, as a test, we're demanding of him a sign from heaven in verse 16. They're like, ah, you need to prove it. Prove that you're God. We want to see a sign. We don't, we don't just take your word for it. So we see his his work here is Christ's kingdom coming. And there's slanderers and there's skeptics. There's a divided kingdom that Jesus so graciously brings up, this idea of a divided kingdom and how it cannot stand. And he does it so carefully, cautiously, and lovingly. Again, we see Jesus' heart. He could easily shut them down and say, that's it. I'm God, boom, we're moving on. You can't believe, you're hard-hearted, you're blind, you're, you're deaf, you're selfish, I'm not gonna, and he, moves, and he could move on. Instead, he he again appeals to them lovingly, trying to draw them in to see he's their Lord and Savior. No group will last long if it's fighting against itself. It will fall, and so Jesus could easily just go, look, I'm God, if you're not gonna believe me, whatever, I'm out, but he says, look, here's, you're, you're saying that I'm working for Satan, but using Satan's power to cast out Satan's demon. What in the world are you talking about? And so he appeals to them logically, lovingly. For many of us, including myself, I would be like, look, I'm out. You guys don't want to believe? That's, that's a bummer for you, because I have eternal life, and I'm going to go give it to someone else who wants to believe it. Instead, Jesus patiently tr- makes this argument, like, you guys are not wise. This is illogical. You're saying I'm casting out Satan by satanic powers? That makes no sense, verses 17 through 18. Why would Beelzebub fight against Beelzebub? He'd be destroying his own kingdom. Just think about the words you're saying. How many of you in the past week, months, years, have heard illogical arguments tearing down another argument? And you're like, I don't even know how to communicate with you because... You're saying something that goes against your initial statement. This is illogical. Everyone tells me that every day. Well, logic's left the building. There's no common sense anymore. It's like, yeah, there never was. Read the Bible. There never was common sense. And Jesus shows us how do we share the gospel with people in the kingdom of darkness. And they don't think they are. We lovingly say, okay, that's interesting. You'd bring that up. Well, your first point goes against your second point. Do you see that? And we know the answer. They're going to scream louder at us. Jesus knew they weren't going to go, oh, Jesus, you're my Savior. Thanks for pointing out the illogical fallacy of my argument. Apparently, there were Jewish exorcists at the time. And not only was it a dig to their pride, it was a dig at their prophets as well. So Jesus asks about their own sons. Hey, who who casts out demons? You guys have a exorcism ministry, don't you? And so he's pointing it back to them. Their second point he makes and saying, well, if, if you're saying I'm using these powers, then are your sons using Beelzebub's power as well to cast out demons? The Lord is pointing out the hypocrisy of the slanderers. If a divided kingdom cannot stand, that must mean a new kingdom has come. A new kingdom is here. And human wisdom continues to seek out physical answers for spiritual problems. And we continue to fail, as well as looking to change the power and purpose of the message of Jesus, attributing it to anybody but Jesus. Additionally, we see the church losing its influence day by day, because the the church is reaching fewer and fewer people because they're spending fewer and fewer minutes in God's word and sharing fewer and fewer words from God's word because we think this is offensive or we think this is hard to understand. It is offensive and it is hard to understand but Jesus says go and preach my gospel and then if you continue reading in scripture Peter says it's really hard to read Paul. I can't understand his letters. So if one author says to the other author it's hard to read there's no excuse for us. It's just hard and that's where the Holy Spirit again is needed. And where Jesus shows up and says, look, I'm going to continue to have this conversation because I need you to see there's a kingdom here. It's not just me versus Satan. It's always been my kingdom, and I'm the king, and we have this prince of darkness lying to you, saying these things and these lies that are deceiving but aren't true. And I'm bringing truth. I want to shed light on this issue. So Jesus informs us there's a spiritual kingdom that's coming, and is here, but Satan has lied and has no power at all, no authority, but he, he masks her aid as an angel of light. He masks her aid as someone who's going to help you or someone's going to give you some pleasure, but certainly not true blessing. Jesus alone is king and his kingdom is here. So second, we see that the kingdom of God is here. Jesus tells the crowd that he drives out demons by the finger of God in verse 20. This is huge. I mean, this right here just blew me away going, wow. But again, the masterful work of Jesus' words, the finger of God. In Exodus eight nineteen, Moses struck Egypt with, with plagues of gnats, and Pharaoh wanted his magicians to copy the plagues in order to discredit Moses, but the magicians couldn't do it. They turned to Pharaoh and said, this is... The finger of God. This is the finger of God. The power in this world cannot match the power of God. There's a, there is power that Satan has, but it's nothing compared. It's an imitation. We've talked about this a lot. You go down to Mexico, you get the jokelys, the fake Oakleys. They have power to put on your face. They just don't have the power to stay there. They'll break probably before you even get across the border, like my Rolex did, just exploded. I was like, oh my goodness, Thankfully, it didn't have like a battery in there. But the world looks like the real thing. But eventually, it can't keep up with the real God. It can't maintain. Yeah, sin wouldn't be a problem if it wasn't pleasurable. But eventually, the pleasure wears off. And then we're right back to where we were. And we're sinned again against God. And we're like, ah, man. And so we see here, they're like, dude, we can't touch this. This is the finger of God. In other words, this is genuine power. This isn't witchcraft or trickery. This isn't drawn from Satan's limited power. This is the limitless God. Exodus 31.18, when God finished giving Moses the Ten Commandments on stone tablets, the Bible says the tablets were inscribed by the finger of God. Again, this should draw us to our knees This phrase, the finger of God, shows up in the Bible when God's power and revelation, his power and revelation in redemption advances in a new way. His power and revelation shows up in Exodus. Oh, you're worshiping false gods? Yeah, you losers. Come to the real God. I'm the one true God. And through the Jews, I'm going to bless the world. And unfortunately, you guys want to do it the hard way, which... How many of you are like the, me and like the Egyptians? Hey, we want to know about you, but I want to do it the hard way. I'm going to keep fighting, kicking, screaming. Oh, okay, I see now. Your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts, and I need to surrender to you. When Jesus says he casts out demons by the finger of God, it's a way of refer- referring to the direct power and action of God. Instead of trying to figure it out, we need to humble ourselves and allow God's forgiveness in our lives. Instead of trying to go, hmm, this is going to hurt my pocketbook if everyone starts worshiping Jesus as God, because now they can go directly to the Father and they don't have to go through the priests anymore. Now they don't have to come and pay my sons to cast out demons. This is going to be a problem for our pocketbooks. This is going to be a problem for, for how we control people. Our Lord is the strong man. In verse 21 through 22, he talks about this application of the finger of God. This new authority, this new kingdom has showed up. And he's like, let me explain it to you in a picture that you can see. He comes and overpowers Satan's house and takes away the spoils. But some in the crowd could not see it. They missed the very kingdom of God among them. They were trying to hold on to what religion offered them authority, control, popularity, prosperity. They didn't want to give that up and surrender to Jesus. They didn't want the hard words of Jesus to ring true and talk about the hard things with their kids. They didn't want to come under Jesus' lordship. They didn't want to go, okay, this is, your, this is your kingdom, then this is your word. I'm going to have to have hard conversations about salvation and that my friends or family aren't saved. I'm going to talk about the hard stuff with my kids about relationships and, and sex outside of marriage. That's coming under Jesus, and that's awkward, and it's hard. And they're doing the same thing we do in the church that leaves us not effective, that leaves us watered down. They're like, oh, this is oh, let's, let's just defer to demonic activity. What? Their, their heart's being exposed, and they don't like it. They don't like that they have to surrender to Jesus. So there's the warning that Jesus says, look, when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger attacks and overcomes, he takes away his armor, which he trusted and divides his spoils. Jesus is saying, look, there's the prince of darkness here acting powerful, but I'm stronger and I'm going to come and take what's mine. What's mine? Don't be recaptured by Satan's kingdom. He, he helps give us another glimpse into the spiritual reality of, of our souls and our bodies. And he says this warning, don't be recaptured by Satan's kingdom. Unless Christ cleans a person like a house and then lives in him, the Holy Spirit again He's saying, look, my kingdom's here. It's the finger of God. The Holy Spirit's coming, and the Holy Spirit's going to dwell and take up residence in the believer. Unless the Holy Spirit takes up residence in the believer's life, the house just gets uh, a cleaner to come for a few hours, cleans it, and then it's open. The door's open. There's no strong man there. There's no one protecting. There's no stronger man in the home guarding it. So then the demon shows up and's like, sweet, the, the fridge is stocked. There's a tri-tip on the Traeger. I'm going to go get my buddies. And he goes and gets seven more and he comes back. And you're wondering why. Your life continues to unravel. And you're you're wondering why when you look at these people on the street and mental illness and demonic activity and all these things keep adding up and our world unravels, Jesus is giving us the playbook. Here's the demonic and the spiritual realm. Unless there's one more powerful, unless there's one more powerful residing in you, you're open to demons coming in you. And that's, I mean, talk about a gospel presentation. Hey, did you know that you're empty? And God wants to fill you with the most powerful, with his spirit, the most powerful spirit? And you want a demon to come live in you? No, I don't want it. Oh, let's get, Wait, you're making this black and white. Yeah, I don't have another option. Jesus made it black and white. I'm just sharing with you, the reality of our world. There are only two sides in this war. Anyone who is not with me is against me, and anyone who does not gather with me scatters. Again, if Jesus just opened with, hey, are you with me or against me? You're like, whoa, Jesus, we're getting, man, this went serious really quick. I was just getting to know you, kind of just having a conversation over a milkshake. Now you're like, are you for me or against me? Come on. It's Like, whoa. But he just laid it out. We are in a spiritual battle. And I am the stronger of the two men. Do you want to be against me or for me? Again, logically, do you like losing? I don't. I'm very competitive. Sweet, there's a stronger option. I'm with him. He said he's going to die and rise again, and he did it. I'm with that guy. I get it. There's some complexities. There's some difficulties in understanding God's word. His kingdom, though, when you look at his kingdom, there's never been one time That you've seen someone or heard a story of Satan attacking and then God just going, yeah, it was an off day, you know. It was one of those pitches, I wasn't ready for it and I struck out. I know, I was nine rounds deep and I just, I didn't see that left hook coming and Satan got me. He always wins, God always wins. In the Bible an account of God showing up time and time again. It's the finger of God showing up in a new way to bring that new experience and that new revelation. And Jesus is saying, are you with me or against me? Clearly, plainly, are you gathering or are you scattering? Are you building my kingdom or are you trying to hinder it? Are you full of my word or are you void of my word? What else is filling you up? Speaking directly, do we try and gather people through sharing the gospel? Are we sharing about Jesus? You know, so often you you say, the word giant, and people either light up or they get mad. And I'm like, whoa, I didn't know it was like a curse word. Like, what? Because there's, especially this weekend, the nemesis the Dodgers are playing, right? Are we talking more about sports than our Savior? Are we talking more about our finances than the forgiveness we've received from God? Are we talking about our our marriage and and the problems? Are we talking about how God has called us to serve our spouse. And, and man, are we, are we focusing on the gospel? Are we coming to God and saying, man, I need you. I'm a mess. I can't believe I've made a mess of my life again. I need you. And then we go to a friend and say, yeah, here's how God showed up in my life. Are we talking about the Lord? Or are we talking about the news? Do we scatter by failing to share the gospel? Perhaps you're not yet a Christian. You never thought about yourself being against God or at war with God. Most people don't. They're, they're not waking up going, okay, how am I going to flank God today? How am I going to just, you know, what propaganda am I going to put out against God today? I wonder if you see that there's no middle ground today. I wonder if you see now there's, you're at war and, and you're either for God or against God. There's no neutral ground. There's no Switzerland in this fight. All of us, not with Jesus, are against him and against really ourselves because then we're choosing to go to hell. We're not choosing to go to God and be with him in heaven forever. We're choosing to be punished for our sin. And when we say Jesus is the only way, it's not a matter of Christians being proud or feeling themselves superior to others. We really do not assert or look at ourselves more more, you know, wise or smart, it's it's that simply Jesus came and he offered this salvation and we received it. And Jesus is God's son. And so we're saying Jesus is actually including everyone in this message. He's telling us to go share the gospel with the whole world. He's been telling us to do that since God came to Abram and said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless the world through you. And, and here's where Jesus shows up, right? The whole... Old- is trying to get the jews to go tell people about god and they're like dude we have god don't tell anybody he's ours he's our god he blesses us don't let's curse everybody we'll just ah okay we're at war with you let's just make peace don't punch me and i won't punch you okay let's go but yeah let's not talk about god until they had to and it's like oh god why'd you let this country take us over and now we're enslaved where are you at god God's like, I, well, I've been, I've been here the whole time, and I've told you to tell everyone about me, and if there's an enemy, just kill all of them, and you keep disobeying me. And now you have problems, because you didn't kill everyone. And you're like, wow, this got really, this is God's kingdom. He's not messing around. If you're in sin, there's punishment. And thankfully, by the grace of God, we don't face the wrath of God after we've sinned even though for many of you, you've lived in sin for years, and God overlooked 30, 40. It's just amazing when people in their 60s or 70s come to know the Lord, and they're like, man, I wish I was young like you. I'm like, I know. I bet you're hungry to do the work of the Lord now, but isn't it amazing how much you've been forgiven, and in your 70s and 80s, they're so in love with Jesus, and they work so hard for the kingdom, because they have so much love, because they've been forgiven much, and they forgive much. It's so sweet to see God work that way. And it's hard for our limited minds to see that Jesus is the only door through which we can enter. Because our hearts, especially those of you that are so compassionate, you're like, there's got to be more. How come this person's not choosing? The reality is, they did choose. They saw the door and they said, no, I'm not walking through Jesus. I'm going to live for myself. And that's their choice. So we see that the light in us has to be tested. We see his work, Christ's kingdom. He says, this is either you're for me or you're against me. This is the reality. So so you need to see to it that the light within you is not darkness. So we see first off his work, Christ's kingdom. And second, his word, Christ's way. The interesting thing here is... uh, this, this transition that Luke makes, whenever I, I read through scripture and I teach it, it's interesting how the, you, you kind of run into these bumps. And I was reminded, I was at a conference, and this guy was one of the Amen guys. You, you know what I'm talking about if you've ever had an Amen person, and you guys aren't really an Amen church, and we don't have an Amen guy here, but he every sentence, he, Amen, brother, preach it, Amen. And the the pastor's getting very vulnerable and and sharing his testimony. And he's like, amen, amen. And then he starts going into the darker part of his testimony where he's doing drugs, sleeping with girls. And we knew what was coming. And he's like, amen. And he tries to reel it in because he was just caught in the moment of just amening every sentence on point. And then he realized that was not a Oh, no. And you never know where amens are going to come from, right? In, in the crowd where there's an amen person, you're like, please, oh, he did it. He amen to sin. That's not, nope, we're not amening that. And here we see the same thing. This woman in the crowd gets so swept up and she's ready to say amen, and she says, amen at the wrong time. Blessed are those, she, she says, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. And Jesus responds that that's the wrong amen place. He says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. With those words, the Lord redirected the woman. There's no hint of the Roman Catholic idea of the veneration of Mary. If ever there was a place where Jesus could have been like, actually, let's talk about my mom. You guys should pray to her. You guys should look to her But he redirects the crowd and he redirects us. As Luke intently put this in there, it's not about demonic activity. In fact, it's not about human activity. It's only about God's word that directs our steps that would direct our work in building his kingdom. And so instead, the Lord turns the woman's attention and our attention away from Mary and directly to God's word for how we should live our lives. There's a promise and a warning in verse 28. The thing that counts is obeying the word of God. That is the blessed way of life, the happy life that will never run out. That's the promise. The Lord has a conception of this blessedness that includes all those who keep God's word. The related warning is it's possible to hear the word of God. It's possible to hear the instruction, but not do it. And James, Jesus' brother, brings that up. And he's like, hey, don't be hearers of the words only, but be doers also. Don't miss the greater sign. As, As we see in verse 29 through 32 here, illustrates really the words of God are to be believed and obeyed. And Jesus answers the skeptics from verse 16. Some people in the crowd were demanding a sign. They said, you got to give us a sign. I want a sign from heaven. And Jesus responds that the only sign this evil generation will receive is the sign of Jonah in verse 29. He's giving these words to help reinforce that his kingdom was here, that his work is here, and, and calls us into that work. Jesus has just said, you have to obey the word of God. Now he is explaining how. The Lord compares himself to the prophet Jonah. God recruited Jonah to go to the wicked people of Nineveh and Jonah disobeyed and he tried to run the other way. I'm, I'm sure none of you can relate to God's call on your life and say, no, I actually, I think I should go left and you told me to go right. And God says, good try, Jonah. But as we know God, you can't run from him. So Jonah disobeys and God prepares a great fish to swallow Jonah, spits him on the shore of Nineveh where God originally had told him to go. So God captures him in a fish, swims him over, spits him out. It's like, well, you're in Nineveh. You might as well tell him about me. So Jonah goes in after spending three days in the belly of a fish and three nights. And the Lord says those three days and three nights were the sign of Jonah. In other words, those three days, like all signs, pointed forward to something greater. The Lord says that he is the greater Jonah. Jesus is saying that whole thing and saving Nineveh was to show that I'm going to show up and I'm going to do a greater work. I'm going to bring a greater sign and there's going to be a greater movement. Not just Nineveh, but the whole world is going to hear that they can believe in Jesus and be saved. Facing immediate destruction and eternal separation from God. He will be dead in the belly of the earth for three days, but then he will be resurrected. And that's a far greater miracle than a fish capturing a prophet who is disobedient. To see the obedience of Christ willingly lay down his life for your and my sin. With these words, Jesus teaches us that if we read our Bibles well and we know God's word, then when we see the work of his kingdom, we're gonna lean in with confidence, with boldness, and we're gonna be able to see the blessing and live the blessing life. So many people look at, at God's word and ah, oh, it's hard to understand. It's a burden. God wants to take my pleasure. Yeah, because he wants to take the pleasure of sin that's fleeting and give you an eternal blessing. A life free from sin, a life focused on God proclaiming that you've been forgiven. The Lord looks back in the Scriptures to the account of the Queen of the South. In verse 31, likely it was Ethiopia, who comes and looks for wisdom. From King Solomon, the Lord declares that anyone who knows the Scriptures would know that he is wisdom personified. The wisdom of Solomon was simply a foretaste of the wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians 1 and Colossians 2. He explains that one greater than Solomon is standing before them. He's saying in these words, Look, I am the true king, and this is the greater one, the greater sign. I've come to set you free and forgive you of sin, and I've come to explain the gospel with all wisdom. The question, though, is Is the light of Christ in you. Have you believed? Have you received Jesus' work? Or is Jonah just a veggie Tale story that was kind of crazy. Like a fish swallowed a dude? That's crazy. You know, this a wise man said, if God wants to do a mighty work through someone, they have to break them mightily first. And even Jonah, kicking and screaming, had to be broken and prepared. Because in Nineveh, they actually worshipped the, the sea. And so when he showed up smelling like the sea, because he was in the belly of a fish, his message had greater impact. He had to get broken first. So often in our lives when we go through a hard time we're like oh god's not in it god's not working yeah he is working will you continue to allow him to work and see how he's humbling you so he can lift you up and the people of jesus day they missed the sign they were so proud and arrogant they would never humble themselves they would never bow to jesus and say you're casting a de- we can't cast demons out of people Sometimes we get lucky, but most of the time we don't. And that guy was mute. Now he speaks. Instead of praising God, they blaspheme him. And here we see he asks the question. In verse 33, he says, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. He's bringing it now to the application. He's saying, look, your eyes are bad which means you focus on evil rather than light. Their sight is darkened, which means their entire bodies were darkened. For us, it's easy to, to to be masquerading around to have have different faces, whether it's makeup or a mask. But here he's saying, look, there's a condemnation that's more severe than the judgment against the queen of the south. Even though she was a Gentile because she pursued and acknowledge God's wisdom, their condemnation will be worse than the people of Nineveh, even though those people were Gentiles, because Nineveh repented at Jonah's preaching. In verse thirty-two, he says, "The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repeated, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah." And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So, for us, are we going? to receive the gospel, are we going to reject it? Jesus takes an ancient prophet from the Bible and the events from that prophet's life, and he says those things were really signs about him. And he brings us to focus in on the gospel, and he says, look, when when you see light, the light has a purpose to shine, and you can see by it, and it gives you illumination. But who would light a lamp to, to light the room so people could see by it and then just put something over it and hide it so it'd be dark. That's illogical. Again, where we started. Think logically. Jesus shows up and says, yeah, that great thing that, that Jonah did, that was actually me and I'm here to set the captives free and to forgive you of all your sin. You know the wisdom that you long for because you're, you're really not smart? You're really illogical? You need wisdom? I'm here. I'm wisdom in Bodily form, let me guide you into truth. Let me expose that your life is actually full of darkness. And that's why you keep tripping over yourself. That's why you keep making the same mistakes. That's why you keep looking for another pleasure of sin. Whether it's finances, whether it's with friends, whether it's drinking too much to escape the pain, whether it's sex outside of marriage, whether it's looking at stuff, whatever it is, you're not going to receive the whole life and the blessed life I have for you, unless you believe, unless the light of me is in you. And so he says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. What in the world? How does light in you become darkness? I think I learned like two things in high school. One of which was the absence of light is darkness. And the absence of darkness is light. So they can't both exist in physics. So we understand that he's saying, look, when you think that there's light in you, it's really darkness. And you think you could show up in church or you can go to synagogue and you say the right words, but it's really fake. You're still dark. You, you, you need to be born again, essentially, as he's trying to get them to see. You can't just put light in you. Light has to come and, and remove all of dark, the darkness. So the time has come, we see that Peter writes, for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? So the warning, second warning here is that when we reject the gospel, we're not about his work and his word. When judgment comes, even if you're in a church building and you disobey the gospel, what will the outcome be? Are you really for God or are you against him? The question is for us to test, is what's in us the light of Christ or is it the absence of the light of Christ? Is God's word in us? Are we doing his work? Are we building his kingdom? Are we gathering with Christ or are we, we scattering? We see again, God will afflict the ungodly when Jesus takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who do not know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8-9. The finger of God points you to the kingdom of God through faith in the Son of God. The finger of God, the Holy Spirit coming. Here we see guiding, revealing. There's a spiritual war going on. Are you for God or are you against God? The finger of God points you to the kingdom of God through faith in the Son of God So you might escape the wrath of God. The people in Jesus' day missed it. And they chose to run into darkness instead of be exposed in the light. Will you miss it? Or will you obey today? Will you repent and believe? Or will you suffer the wrath of God? Willingly choosing that. We need to hear what Jesus says here. The challenge in verse 35. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Be careful lest the light in you be darkness. We must be men and women of prayer. We must see to it that we confess our sins and ask God to keep our eyes clear. Keep the light of Christ in us, God's word in us. As Jesus' contemporaries could not see his radiant light and were missing the sign of Jonah, seeing that his death, burial, and resurrection was their forgiveness. That was their sign they were seeking. That was it, and they missed it. The sign of Jonah ended up being their judgment rather than their forgiveness because of a developed hardening of heart. On the surface, they might have been found out, but they didn't have a deep transformation where they believed in Jesus and were forgiven of their sins. They had a conscience that really was darkened and hardened and desensitized. So when the light shone on their souls, they didn't confess their sin. They didn't passionately pursue Jesus. They just ran into the darkness. So we must be contemplative and, and, and ask, okay, is my day, is my week full of God's word equipping me to do his work? Or is our day and our week full of really anything in the world And then we look back and we go, man, I wasn't really about the kingdom's, I wasn't about the king's business this week. I wonder why. Because our direction and and our directive was not from God's word, it was from the world. So we ended up scattering against God, not gathering. During the French Revolution, some Christians were crammed into a dungeon where once a day for a few moments, the sun would move and it would stand at a, a certain angle and it would would shine in and and it was high enough though that it was out of reach and so they had to get on top of another's shoulders at that moment and one of the prisoners had a bible and and they would climb upon the guy's shoulders at that moment the sun the sun would shine in and they could read scripture for those few moments and then they would lower him down and his friends would say okay tell me what you read Tell me what you read. When we're in darkness, when there's no direction, when there's no hope, and everything you were trusting in or everything that you just took for granted and now it's pressing in on you and you're like, man, what's tomorrow going to hold? I don't know. My 401k, gas prices, my kids, are they going to believe or are they not? What's happening? It's His Word. It's the light of Christ. Once your eye goes dark, there's no hope for you. And Jesus is saying, I've come to give you hope. I've come to set the captives free. And the Holy Spirit, the finger of God is here to do a new work and to make you new by replacing the darkness in you with the light of Christ. So we would then be people passionately pursuing Christ through his word, expecting to be equipped to help do his work. We ought to give quality time and full concentration to the light of God's Word. The Queen of Sheba spared no expense to get a meeting with Solomon, to get a little bit of his wisdom. We have it all right here. Solomon is just a little book. We have all of God's revelation teaching that the Spirit of God would open our eyes to understand, and it's here. And yet, how little time we spend with it. The Queen of Sheba would have grown green with envy at our spiritual privilege, having study Bibles with notes and commentaries. Men have spent their whole 80, 90 years studying one book to help you get a glimpse at Jesus' character through that book. And yet, have you dove an ounce into that page? And our message is not about just a dirty, smelly, awkward, disobedient prophet fresh from a whale's belly, but from Jesus who burst from the grave. No one really talks about Jonah. Everyone talks about Jesus. The prophet was disobedient and came out of the grave and God still saved. Jesus was obedient to the point of death, walks out of the grave to give us new life. That's who we're talking about. That's the greater sign to build his kingdom. And there's nothing that's gonna come against his people or his kingdom. We have a sure victory. So we must each see to it that the light within you is not darkness, directed by his word to accomplish his work for his glory. As we turn, I might invite you to believe, to not be against God. Don't choose to lose. Today is the day where victory is once again proclaimed. We don't have to walk in darkness. We don't have to walk in sin looking for the next pleasure that it will bring and then leave moments later we have the blessed life that we can walk anew in christ and we have the wisdom to discern how we can speak and how we might act to help people know that gospel that the wrath of god was for you and i and it was poured out on god's son in the garden jesus said i don't want that cup, but if it's your will i'm going to go to the cross I'll be buried in the earth for three days like Jonah was in the whale. And three days later, I'm going to come out and I'm not just preaching a message. I'm offering new life to all who believe. And as we reflect now and turn to the Lord in communion, I encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit to show you in your life where there needs to be more of the light of Christ. Where God's word needs to take a new foundation, maybe the root of God's word needs to grow deeper in you. And maybe there's something you have to cut out, something unhealthy that you've allowed to become a part of your life. But for those of you who need to believe for the first time, we invite you to just say, I believe that Jesus is the Lord and Savior and that he died for my sins. It's already the the salvation work was accomplished by Jesus on the cross. You're just believing it. You're receiving it, and you're acknowledging it. So as you do that, let us know, hey, God has brought me to this point, and I see I need Christ. My life's full of darkness, and only Jesus can put light in me. So I'll give you a few moments to take communion as believers, and I'll come wrap us up.